The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com. And you're very welcome to the RTE Rugby Podcast. I'm Michael Glennon. I'm delighted to say we've got former Ireland head coach Eddie O'Sullivan and two-time Six Nations winner Fiona Hayes with us on the pod this afternoon. How are you doing, guys? Good, Michael. Very good. We're going to look back over the Irish sides in the United Rugby Championship action later and look ahead to the weekend's games too. But we're going to kick off with the TikTok Women's Six Nations, which hopefully ushered in a new era for for Irish rugby in the in the women's game in the country, we we hope. And um, we're just about over not qualifying for the World Cup, and we've got one review done, another another review to come as well. We've got a new coach in Greg McWilliams and a new look team. It can be said, England. Uh, they're the favourites for the tournament. They scored nine tries. They beat Scotland away. And France also got a bonus point, 39-6 at home to Italy. Um, Ireland came very close to getting off to a winning start, but went down 27-19 to Wales at the RDS. Fiona, we might talk about what they could have done better in the game, but what are your uh, positives from that uh, match? Uh, what, what are your big pluses? Yeah, there was uh, loads of positives for the game, especially the first half. They can kind of be proud of, of how they played. Um I think I think the big issue, and I said it before the game, was their lack of power up front, um, especially against teams like Wales and France and England. They're really going to feel it. You know, they might Italy and Scotland are kind of they can move them around the park and maybe attack them elsewhere. But I think France and uh, definitely we saw with Wales, their their power off the bench was absolutely immense as well. So the positives, I suppose, was um, Greg McWilliams said he stole out. He wanted to play quick breakdown quick uh, free-flowing rugby we saw a lot of that we he likes to keep the ball alive definitely that that beautiful try by Linda De Jong um offload by Sam Manahan was was absolutely brilliant so while there was really really good parts there's definitely a lot to work on for this Irish team going forward to France. Eddie did you did you spot def- any green shoots there what were the seeds that you saw that would give you hope? Yeah I thought some of the rugby in the first half particularly when they had more possession was very good um, you can see what they're trying to do, uh, which is a good starting point. And I, I think, you know, that will get better over time. It might be tougher to play like that against a stronger team because you won't get the same amount of possession. Possibly you won't get the same amount of time and space on the ball. And they might find it a bit harder. But I think they're going the right direction there. But for me, I thought um, the defence was outstanding. Um, I think that just the, their organisation was really good along the line. They were smart around the rocks when they put one or two into the, the breakdown. Um, and I thought their physical commitment was outstanding. You know, the, the physicality they brought against a very uh, powerful Welsh team to me was outstanding. Probably in the end, what got them was that, you know, when a team's that powerful, it's very hard to stop them all or to pick and drive near the line, which really was probably the, the, the thing that got Wales over, over the line. But I thought the first half particularly... Uh, when we were fresh, we saw some really good line breaks because players hit really good lines. So the positives were, I agree with Fiona, the, the attack looks really nice. It's work in progress, but it's getting there. Uh, but, and I, but I thought for me, the defence, you know, given that they were up against a powerful team, was outstanding. They really put their bodies on the line. And again, you know, that will improve as well as time goes on. And I suppose in the past, we've had problems maybe with skill issues, catch pass and that. But did the try that Linda scored... Um... And even Emma Considine's pass to, to set Stacey away for that other one, and Amy Lee's try as well, all showed that even with limited possession, there is something there, a genesis to build on. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, what you have to be with that attack, and we've seen the men's team probably being less so as patient. You know, you've got to trust the system that you're not going to get a line break off of every phase. And it might pay two or three phases to set up a line break. Um, but the patience to keep the ball. And that, that means two things, not forcing passes or offloads that aren't done that you think might be on like the low percentage offload or low percentage pass. And that's hard at times because, you know, we're working so hard to get a half break or something. You, you force one that's not really there because you think it's on. That's the first thing. And the second thing, you've got to be very precise around the rocks. You know, you can't go to five rocks and do a really good job. And then the sixth one, somebody doesn't show up or you miss a clean out. So the patience around keeping your shape not forcing the game and being precise at the rocks allows you to build the pressure you need. And then eventually, you know, the other team will crack and you get your hands free at a, at a, at a tackle or you get a small uh, overload or you get a mismatch and off you go. So that takes time to develop because that's confidence in the system. The more confidence you become in the system, the less likely we are to force the thing because you know it's okay. If we don't get the line break now, it'll happen two rocks time. So I'm not going to turn the ball over here or risk turning the ball over, you know? Yeah, and Fiona, you were probably disgusted with Linda's try because it's, there's a sidestep from a prop about five <laughs> yards out when, when the line was there begging and for some reason she decided to throw in a sidestep. But actually wonderful skills um, for, the, for the three tries we did see. Yeah, the tries were, were really good and Linda's step absolutely filthy, lovely to see. But I think it was the Sam Monaghan offload just before that that was just so, so good. And and it shows kind of their mentality. It's probably a different mentality before. It's it's that keep that ball alive. Obviously, uh, Eddie talked about when it's not on, but she had gotten her hand free. She could see Linda making that line. So so that was like a, probably a 70, 80% chance. Uh, and, and they took it and they executed really well. Um, Troy's were really good I thought um Stacy's skip pass you know she's obviously in the seventh circuit really really good skill set I think we talked before and you mentioned it there about the skills set not being up to scratch but I think that was skills under pressure and it was true lack of game time and the players mentioned that themselves you know that going into those competitions they probably hadn't played enough games or, or gelled well together so these girls have been playing in the seventh circuit they've been playing with their with their clubs in the AIL and and they looked it they looked fresh um probably not as gelled as we'd like to see because they'd only three weeks and camp together but that's that will come we need the patience we need that will all come down the line these games will stand to them you know there's uh, there, there's nothing to really play for in this six nations um obviously you'd want to win it but in reality you're looking at england and france at the minute so they, they, he gets a chance to, to to test out a few people we saw nicole cronin in at 10 we saw the the center partnership of stacy and eve higgins so there's really really good things there um we spoke about France as well, and you know something that I was kind of disappointed in the game. Lots of positives, but was that boy at the rock going for the poach? It's it's something that especially there was. I think there was about six minutes left in the clock. Ireland were only down by four points. You know they let so while their defense was really really good, and they let they let Wales have that ball. You, when you're when you're down, when you four minutes left, you need to be hungrier at those rocks. And I think Greg spoke about it afterwards as well. So that's something easily worked on. They have the ability to poach, and he he's worked on the fence. Now it's up to that decision making and trying to get those turnovers because they only had thirty two percent possession for the whole game. That's right. And I spoke to Peter Bracken and Lynn Cantwell and James Kennedy, who was over at Rugby United New York, and they were just telling me I got the sense that 
Greg's does things his own way. He's not a typical type of coach. Eddie, what's your take on that? He, he seems to be very holistic and didn't talk about his key performance indicators. So he just, he's not interested in those or he didn't set himself a target of X amount of wins this championship. How far, is that okay at the start of a, of a tenure or how far will that carry you in international rugby? Um, I know everyone likes to talk about wins and, and you know, um, targeting games, but I think you target every game, but you target to play the best you can play in that game. And if you're better than the opposition and you play to your potential, you should win the game. And if you don't play to your potential, you can possibly lose it. And even if we put in a stormy performance against France, we may still not win the game, but you still go out with the intention of doing lots of things well that's within your control. So you'd like to see the step up on the uh, defence again, step up on the attack, all those things. So he's not, he, he's, you're never going to focus on wins as a coach because they're, not, they're, out, they're out of your control. You could have a fantastic performance and you get a bad refereeing decision or a bad bounce to the ball and there's the win gone. So it's never a good idea. But I think what he can focus on and what are, every coach will do now at, at the top of the game is just focus on the things you can control, like your set piece, your ball retention, your defence. What do we need to do with those in those particular moments? So I think he's got a clear view on what he wants. So going back to his own overarching style, every coach will have their own blueprint of how they want to play the game. And that's going to be tempered by the players at your disposal. Uh, you've got to first assess what's our strengths and weaknesses. But he obviously has a very clear vision of how he wants to play. And you ask yourself the question, can you see his stamp on the team? And I think already you can see his stamp on the team. Do they have it done perfectly? No. But who would expect that in the first game out? So I think, yeah, I can see what his stamp is on that team and it will become stronger and stronger as they go. So, that, yeah, I think he's, he, from that point of view, he knows exactly what he wants and what he's trying to achieve. Um, and he's been open about it. He says he wants to play a style of rugby, but I don't even need to do that. Like, just let the performances speak for themselves. Um, and as long as they're playing to their potential, you know, um, that's all you can do as a coach and that's all they can do as a team. But if they do that they'll get better and better and the success will come. But, you know, Fiona's right. You've got to be realistic where we are. Um, if we were to turn over France or England, this championship would be a huge shock. But, you know, we're, there's still plenty to play for. Even if we don't win those games, it's how we deliver our performances within those games under huge pressure. Um, and if we play well and still don't win the game, that's a really good positive for us against teams of that calibre. And Fiona, do you see any... Like briefly, do you see any quick fixes? Because France are not going to be any less powerful than um, Wales. Plus, they will have their, their speed on the outside as well. Is there is it a game of containment? I know when you're talking about putting out your best performance, but equally, I think we conceded 50-odd points last year, seven tries against France. That's not great either for, for confidence. No, and a quick fix will be more defence. I mean, looking at it, I, I reviewed the, the clips afterwards. It was non-existent. You know, you either stop it at source. I mean, the second uh, try off a mall, they they went up in the pot at, uh, sorry, they didn't even go up at the pot at the front, but they were so separated that by the time they got around to Wales, they'd already shifted right and had got a drive on. So that's all very fixable. Three weeks, as I said, in camp, they mightn't have had much time together to work on that. So so that's definitely something I think to scrum. Um, I thought Nicole Cronin got, um, you know, a sloppy ball at times and we were overturned uh, a couple of times. Or sorry, we were, we, we were blitzed by the Welsh scrum on their ball a couple of times, which in turn gave them penalties. So that was a height issue. You can you can work on that. And I think going into a France game, Greg has his, his view of how he wants to play the game and, and we saw it and, and he likes to 
to go wide and he likes to keep the ball alive but there's definitely one thing you can't do and it's give the ball um back to that French back three a lot so if we're kicking if we're if we're getting out of it has to go off the pitch or it has to go to the sidelines because They've Eddie spoke about the defense and it's really, really good. But the French can sting you from anywhere. They're like the, the men's team, they'll attack from anywhere. They play, they've silky skills, might have been up to scratch against Italy at the weekend, and they still won by how many tries. But they're definitely someone. And in Toulouse with that cauldron and everyone shouting and roaring, it's 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 going to be a place. So I think Ireland need to be very clever what to do with the ball, how they retain it, holding on to it. And at times, as I spoke about that rock, slowing it down a little bit as well. The French don't like that, so they need to get stuck in there and that's that's not all about you know big and bulk you can get stuck in anywhere you know it just means that that warrior in your comes out and you're going and you're in and you're slowing that ball down because you do not want to give them fast ball and um, greg mcwilliams mentioned it after about how how far wales have come on in the in the in the 12 months from last year when we beat them well and um, fiona coughlin said on against the head that you know, maybe they weren't as bad as they were last year. But this certainly would have been boosted by the contract situation. So they got 12 full-time contracts, 12 part-time contracts. And I know they've only had a little bit of time to bed that in. But from a psychological point of view and a morale point of view, that's a good thing. Now, I, I'm going to throw this out there and you can both shoot me down about how silly this is. But if, if the IRFU turned around tomorrow and said, next year we're going to offer 12 full-time contracts, how would that impact on the grassroots of rugby? So you're working in grassroots uh, women's rugby uh, Fiona. So imagine if the, the girls could see that how many more people would come in if they had this carrot of a clear pathway to a professional contract? Because you can see in Gaelic games, there's a lot of women going over to the AFLW because they can see that forward. So I, I don't really see the either or. I understand about getting the grassroots structures in place and the domestic game, but imagine if you combine the two, how many more women could you keep in the game? 15, 16, 17, if there was a pro contract and, and even the boost that we saw Wales got. Yeah, and that's that's the main goal. You know, it's probably not sustainable right now. You you would have some players still working. You know, there's a lot of issues outside of that. Um, I think like Ireland had six sevens players as well on that squad, so they're they're fully contracted. Like they're 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 training every day. But th that carrot about getting people there—that's what you want. You want to be a professional rugby player. You know, these everyone is working. They're they're going up to camp. They're trying to get back to work, and it, it's just the reality of what it is right now. And I think grassroots, if there was a clear pathway and you were building up you were getting to that monster stage or Ulster Leinster Connacht and then you're kicking on and you're trying to get a, a contract I think it, it's it's definitely the way the, the game needs to go and we saw what Wales now there was a lot of stuff going on in the background but they the one thing about Wales in, in last year's Six Nations was they looked completely unfit they looked unstructured they looked like they didn't want to play for each other this was a different team and I think that fitness of training every day we saw it we saw the power we saw the bench come on Donna Rose came on made a massive impact impact so it, it, it's definitely something you want to attain to and it's somewhere Irish rugby should be looking at maybe not right now but definitely in the future Eddie what's your take on that is it feasible like I think click your fingers all a big shock IRFU and now it's 12 contracts mm. next year and the boost it gives to across the country for um for younger players coming through yeah I think it's a good target for young players to see a career uh, in rugby the other thing is you know how lucrative can you make it because like most of these players have, have good careers as well outside of rugby, you know, I mean, are you going to give up a career in finance or in medicine or in law to take up a contract that pays less? You know, that's, you've got to be realistic as well. So you've got to make it worth their while. Uh, the other thing is, the question is, 
if someone's a professional rugby player in, in Ireland, um, where do they play every every week except the club level? They're not going to be playing a professional game. Um, I think that's the, the big turning point is when they can access a professional game. So if, in the men's game, if you're a professional rugby player, you play at one of the provinces professionally and you train every day with the province and then you play with Ireland. So that environment is perfect for you to become the best you can be. The, the big like turning point for a, a player on the Irish women's team will be is to get contracted over in England. That's a big turning point for them. And then they're in a professional environment every day. So the key isn't so much, um, how I put it, that you know, you're being paid to play, which is great. And that means you can focus solely on that. But where is your daily routine? Is it in a professional environment? So like, if you pay, play somebody, pay some of the Irish players at the moment and they're still training with their club two, two nights a week and are still training with the provinces, it, oh yeah, they, 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 they're financially better off, but it doesn't change the professional environment they're in. And that's the big catalyst. So ideally, in the perfect world, we'd have a professional women's rugby league in Ireland. Uh, and as Fiona says, it's hard to see where, how that would function at the moment. Um, but I think it's the environment and the access to that professional environment on a daily basis, the real catalyst. But having said that, it's never a bad thing for players to be able to embrace that and take it on um, if we can make that happen. So I'm not, I'm not sure how that would work at the moment in Ireland. But certainly, I, I mean, if you look at the model in Argentina they used back in the late 90s and into the noughties, which created that famous Argentinian team that was hugely successful and got third in the World Cup in 2007. What they did is they basically had their players, they focused on getting them into professional environments overseas. And when Argentinians had their, uh, their, their international training camps, they had them in France because they had like something like 60 or 70 players in France. So probably at the moment, the best way forward is for us to get players overseas if possible because they bring that professionals in background it's not a nice thing to have to say because we went through that ideation in the men's game years ago and it was never really looked upon but unless you can create that environment that professional environment day to day for everybody it's hard to see a massive benefit immediately out of it okay. it's never a bad thing though to invest in in, 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 in to invest financially on the game yeah so the field of dreams will have to wait for another another little while um, and when you mentioned the sevens there Fiona at, at the moment it's okay but later on there's going to be a clash I mean the IRFU is in a bit of a conundrum here it because all the all the attention is on the 15s from the, the two reviews that went on and I'm just wondering if we were working in rugby at some level over the last 30 or 40 years uh, myself and Eddie and he was but how do you explain to the casual viewer for the Scotland match that there's a sevens tournament on in Canada that you're missing. You could be missing your star players like Baby and Parsons and Stacey Flood. And what does that say about their attitude to the Six Nations? Because the Irish people, the Irish sports fan can, can relate to the Six Nations, has grown up with it, or the Five Nations. Um, what did they do there? How, how do you sell sevens without saying, like, you will know us by our actions. The actions is we will remove some of our best players for a Six Nations match. How do they balance that up? Yeah, it, 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 it's a tough one. I suppose money is, is what it comes down to. I mean, they're like the Sevens are funded. You know, it's Olympic uh, sport. That's why they get money from Sport Ireland. Um, so, but, but sell that to sell that to a casual yeah. fan who wouldn't have would probably just has never seen Sevens or very rarely. And it's it's a thing that's not close or hard. It's not there's not a tournament in Dublin every year. So sell it. I, we understand the logistics and the money and yeah. the pathways and the funds that go with it, but sell it to me as somebody who wants to get into w the women's rugby game. 
As in, what's good about seven? Yeah, as a fan, prop. no, 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 no. As a fan, tell me, yeah. Um, yeah. why should I take the IRFU's new attitude yeah. to the 15s game series if they're going to take away? Right. So, yeah. So look, they've, they've always set their soul early. You know, there, there's two teams in this country, the sevens, um, those sevens girls want to play sevens. They want to be competing. They're paid athletes to play at the sevens levels. So the RFU obviously have taken them out and there's a great setup. I know Aidan McNulty is, is over. So there's, there's a great bond between, you know, you can hear Greg and Aidan, they've really, they've really worked hard together to, to get the best out of these players. So from the start of the six nations, it's no, it's been known that these girls will be gone for the last two games. It's selling it to the to the team was the first thing because that wasn't what was done in the past. They've sold it to the team, and you know everyone's aboard. And I think it's a good opportunity to test the squad and and test outside that. So the likes of Stacey Flood, there was a lot of we saw now that Greg obviously as a, as an out half she was there, but we know she's going for 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 two games. So Greg has placed has his trust in Nicole Cronin. He said, look, I I'm going to give this girl. She's going to be around for the. Five games hopefully we'll see her playing in all in all the five games and she gets game time so it's 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 just you have to understand that it's it's a separate game but it, they're training in that environment that's their game so as a 15s that's all we know that's what we love as as Irish people that's what we watch we adore the 15s game I certainly do as a prop I could never understand that seventh thing but it, it's it's there it's a game they want to compete for Olympics they they have their own circuit they have their own World Cup and it's a World Cup they're going to so so for them that's their focus and they can switch their focus to 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 15s rugby and and Greg has done it really well he's told them he needs that they need to go out and play in the 15s AIL League in Ireland and they've done that so he has kind of sowed the seed in and I think it's that communication from the start that that that's saying look we're here for three games these girls will be involved they're gone we have the players now they'll get a chance to come in and step in and, and have a go as well yeah Eddie will we ever love sevens the way we love 15s um I doubt it because culturally we're more attracted to the 15s game here um sevens is a completely different uh product altogether I think one of the problems there, if you have it as well, is that you have, you know, a limited amount of talent at the moment. Just like, so they've got to use, use that wisely. They're getting funding, we know, from the government. But I think the, the eye and the prize here as well, I think maybe that could be a game changer if Ireland went to an Olympics and won a medal at sevens. And that's the ultimate. What they're trying to do here is, it's difficult, as Fiona says, it's a balancing act between the public profile of your right is definitely on the 15s. But if the Sevens were to win a medal uh, at the next Olympics, um, that would be a game changer for us. And then you could see why people might go, okay, well, okay, we can only do it every once every four years, but the work has to go in during that four years. And a lot of it is unseen because it's the way of tournaments we don't even follow. So that's the kind of the selling point, but you have to start somewhere. And I suppose the RFU have put their hands in, we got that balance wrong in the last while, but it is a difficult one and it's contentious when you're a 15 supporter, but you see the bigger picture here as well. We'll just switch to the United Rugby Championship now. Quick re recap of the weekend's results. Munster hammered Benetton, 51-22. Ulster Tote had beaten the Stormers. Uh, there was a late disallowed try that the referee's boss subsequently admitted should have stood. Uh, unusually enough, that was 23-20. And Leinster ran out 45-8 winners over Connacht. I was just talk we were talking to Dan McFarland and Robin McBride uh, on Monday. They were talking about... the the merits of trialing a 20-minute red card as they're doing in Super Rugby at the moment, because we've seen Jaime Fiva for Italy, Charlie Ewells for England, and then Tom Daly at the weekend, and also uh, Tommy O'Brien got sent off early on. Um, 
I was looking back, the, the, the new tackle protocol, the framework came in, it was trialed in 2018 and 2019 at under 20s World Cup. So we're, we're kind of three years into this system now where it's been known about how you're supposed to tackle and what are the sanctions if you don't do it correctly, but we're still seeing a lot of incidents. Is it, how do you balance up the thing of spoiling the game, which is rubbish, with player safety, which is the priority, but is there something worth trialing if we can see three years down the line, players are not changing their behaviours, Eddie? Well, I, I think this idea we're changing players' behaviours is going to happen. But the notion that we will change players' behaviours to the point where there'll be no high tackles is ludicrous. Because it, when I look at the game now, um, most of the red cards you see, and some of them are very harsh and some of them are nailed on, most of the red cards you see are for two reasons. Complete accidents. And there's been a lot of those. And we say, well, that's not a mitigation. It happens, it happens. Uh, so accidents don't get you out of jail on that. And the second thing is... Um, players being sloppy and lazy with their, their setup in the tackle, like staying too high, not getting their arms up. You rarely, rarely now see in rugby someone taking somebody out, like with a nasty tackle. But we still have to have that there. That still has to be, you, you know, if you take a player out with a, a nasty high challenge, you know, no excuse for it, then there has to be a right card. I actually think the solution here is actually available if they'd only just open their eyes. And I think they should look at the GAA for this. And I think the black card to me, is the solution to this. And it's the, the, the way I would adjudicate on it is that the old days are red cards for somebody like doing something really egregious, like punching somebody or kicking somebody or taking somebody out with an elbow. And there should be a red card for that. So if someone does something that's dangerous in the game, reckless, crazy, red card, end of story, and play with 14 men, and that's it. And I think that there's so little of that now doesn't really happen. Professionals respect each other. Players respect each other. They don't go out to hurt each other. We've, that game's gone out of the game. But the next thing is, I believe, is a black card, which is, yeah, have. it's very simple. If you have a high challenge and a player gets head-to-head contact and it's an accident or it's not a, you know, terribly egregious, you give a black card and that should be maybe 20 minutes and then replace the player. With, this, with a different player? Yeah, you have okay. subs. Yeah. And that's okay. it. I, and that, that, no, what that would do is it would say that we're, we we you pay, you pay if you're reckless if you're careless in a tackle or you're you know you end up accidentally you know giving away a penalty for a high challenge you go in the bin for twenty minutes and then somebody else replaces you so it doesn't completely like we had in Galway and we had in Twickenham teams playing with fourteen men for nearly eighty minutes yeah I, I think there's a proportionality or there has to be the key, thing about laws is when you put a law into the game right. There's two things you, you've got to try and avoid. There's one having anomalies around it. That cr- anomalies that crop up all the time are not anomalies anymore. Yeah, okay, so yeah, that's yeah. that's the key. So if there's an anomaly around every law and it's rare, you say, well, look, that's the way it is. And sometimes, you know, if you touch a guy's boot in the air, it's still a penalty, even though you, you didn't you didn't you know spin him around in the air. So there's that's the first thing. There's very there's no anomalies and there's proportionality about the penalty. So I think that black card is a proportionality thing, is that if it's not egregious, if it's not intentional, and you could decide what that is yeah. uh, very easily, but that's, it's just intentional and it's egregious, it's red. And if it's unintentional or it's not that egregious, go to black, which is, could be 20 minutes, and then that player is replaced by another player off the bench. And that, to me, is proportional around what's happening yeah. at the moment. 
I, I guess that's that was kind of one thing that was cited um, Craig Gilroy when he was sent off against the Scarlets that you know Dan McFarland was saying he didn't actually look as if he did a lot wrong it was a speedy thing and Tom Rogers had fallen into his tackle and yeah. had he not fallen into that tackle it would you, yeah. nobody would have paid any attention and to that's it. the mitigation stuff that you can go through yeah. you know and that, that's fair yeah. but I, I think in their F, and let's be honest here the world rugby uh, it's very easy to start shouting and roaring and pointing fingers, oh, this is ridiculous and it's ruined the game. But World Rugby are, are on a difficult mission at the moment to try and make the game safer. Mm. And it's very hard to make rugby safe because you have people running around at high speed, changing direction in a collision sport. Well, what could go wrong? Well, we see what goes a wrong. Lot, a, lot. You know, a lot can go wrong and yeah. nobody intends it. And I do believe that the, the nastiness that used to be a part of rugby, what red cards were for, punches and kicks and elbows and you know cheap shots doesn't exist anymore. And I mean, all the proposed fights we see when they're, I say it's just a pell shaking. Everyone's shaking each other's lapels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody throws a punch. Who's no, stupid no. enough to throw a punch? So I think they need to find that sweet spot that's proportional around these events. And players are trying to, you know, they are trying to adjust, but it's it's very hard to legislate for the, the game we're playing. And it's getting yeah. quicker and it's getting more physical. So I think they need to find, and I think for me, looking at, Gaelic football, and people criticise that, but I think in rugby that could be a reasonable solution to a difficult problem. Yeah, and especially the tour happened so early, Fiona, in the last few matches that we've seen. What's it like in the dressing room before? Like, I was never in a dressing room where I wasn't, we weren't told about get this, make, get a first hit in early and hammer them or that. Is that the same uh, for the women's rugby? Are you, are you take, take your woman out nice and early? And <laughs> let her know yeah, that's... Work? That's it. It is. It's like you're you're pumped up. You know, you're 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 inside of your as a coach. You're trying to get everyone up to that. But it's finding that balance of levels of aggression. Before said that we saw in the England game. Obviously, maybe Eddie Jones had them pumped up to the max, and we saw that. But the thing is, Michael, as well, like you're looking at James Ryan. So you're you're going, okay, this guy's out for months, probably, you know, because someone's been reckless in their behavior. So I understand, you know, where rugby and people are giving out about this and that. And to be honest with you, Frawley was lucky. Tom Daly came out, it looked like the, it was crazy high. Like, obviously yeah, yeah. he didn't mean it. He's not that type of player, but it, that it was 100% correct. Frawley was lucky. He went on and won man of the match. But they're going to, they've kind of set their soul. I know over in the Southern Hemisphere, they're obviously trying it. We saw Tom, Tom Banks at the weekend. He done an absolutely crazy hit as well for the Brumbies. Was off for 20 minutes and the, and the Brumbies went on to win 39 38 would that have been the cracking game if 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 it if it'd been 14 men against 15 maybe it wouldn't you know i know he was off for 20 minutes so there's loads of stuff but but i think eddie nailed it on the head i think it's that mitigation i think the referees need to really look at that if they're like there's there's heights being dropped at times and they're still getting red cards you know or the players falling into the tackle so so for me looking at that is the is the area they need to nail down i'm not too sure if i'm if i'm if i'm keen on this red card I think coaches really need to nail down getting lower and those we're still seeing those high hits trying to dislodge the ball you know maybe that needs to come out of the game I know you you want to stop offloads but I, I, I think it's it's the referees that need to get the mitigation right and as and we've just got to stick with it because there's guys careers being ruined for these shots and although it's not done on purpose it's 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 still there and, and guys are out for weeks months at a time Okay, well, we've solved that problem many of us on the OT <laughs> Rugby podcast. Uh, no, I think World Rugby, yeah, they're, they're going to have to work on that a bit more. Just the Ulster are playing the Bulls in Pretoria in South Africa and they have two loose the, the following week. So you're going to imagine they would take that into account. Um, 
the Munster are yeah Munster at home obviously to Leinster in the Derby. They're kind of funny games taking place before a, a round of the Champions Cup. What's the balance there again, Eddie, between um, making sure you go in on an up and uh, holding back teams back for for the more important tournament? Yeah, and I think um, it is a bit of a balancing act, but I, I, I think Ulster are pretty safe in the URC in terms of that they're going to be able to get the home advantage in the playoffs. They're right up there, um, you know, in terms of their second at the table. I think they might have a little bit of wriggle room. Um, they're hardly going to slip out of the top four at the moment. Uh, so it gives them a little bit of wriggle room if they want it. But having said that, when you go down to South Africa and they lost controversy last week, and again, not to talk over too much, it was a dreadful decision by the referee. The ball was obviously dislodged by the by the opposition player, and I thought it went backwards actually when he dislodged it. it didn't go forward. It went straight. Like I, I thought it was a try. You know, it was a it was a bizarre. It would have been a bizarre try, but that's the anomaly of it. You know, yeah. so you'll have to bring the TMO slightly there as well because I think the referee was happy enough, and your man jumped then, in. And well, the, the referee. The well, I would be tough on the referee and say yeah. your the TMO was there to help you, not to tell you what to do. So okay, he should have been strong enough to say, listen, I, I hear what you're saying, but my read on this is different. I'm going with the try. And that, that's a good referee. Well, like, and I've seen TMOs. I do think TMOs are not a bit of kick in the backside because they do come in and try and influence the referee beyond their, their station, you know. And, and um, I think the referees are the referees. They're there in the middle. They make decisions. You can help them. That's what the assistant referees are there for. But they've got to make the call. I would yeah. say to the referee there, in retrospect, we had it back. He should have been stronger as a referee and said, look, I hear where you're coming from, but that's not what I'm seeing. I'm going to go with the try. Yeah. Now, it's easy to say that when you're sitting at your kitchen table in the morning, you know, playing Monday morning quarterback. But, um, yeah, that's the tough part of refereeing is trusting yourself under pressure. But anyway, look, that aside, um, also situation, they would be really sick losing that game. To no fault of their own, apart from the mistakes they made. But at the end of the day, it does put a bit of pressure on them to get home from South Africa with something tangible. You saw Munster coming home with two away bonus point losses, you know, um, poor return for a long journey. So there's a bit of pressure on them to try maybe get something out of the Bulls game. But they're not, they don't have to risk the URC to do that. They're in a good place. So the focus will be definitely on Europe. That for them is still a big carrot because they've been so well in Europe this year. Yeah, they're away and too loose. And then just when you mentioned about the referee, I remember Wayne Barnes in the last Ireland match, he, he, twice the TMO came up to him and he, he told the TMO where to go more or less. And Barnes is strong, you know, that's yeah. his experience. He knows. Yeah, and yeah. The, the other referee, uh, it, it, the referee has to believe they are, that they are the boss. And that's, even if they get it wrong, they've got to trust themselves, you know. But I thought, anyway, we've been through it, but it, it definitely, it's, it's something that they really need to look at again in, in terms of the, the management of the game, the referees, the TMOs and the ARs. You know, the TMO is, is only to offer advice and opinions, you know, not to make decisions yeah, or force them. Yeah, the, the Leinster, or the Munster-Leinster match is live on RTE on uh, Saturday as well, Fiona. Again, what's your take on that in terms of uh, Munster, the beat Leinster the last time out, I think, in the, in the Rainbow Cup, and this is a rescheduled match. They're hoping for a big crowd. Damien Dialanda yeah. talking, he's confirmed he's not going to be around next year. Um, like, this might sound a bit silly as well. Is is the you were seeing a more realistic target for Munster than uh, Champions Cup? Yeah, I think so. I think so right now. Um, I thought at the start of the season that maybe this could be the year they might take the URC. You know, I I think Leinster obviously in the Champions Cup are, are very strong. 
this this game's actually funny as well, Michael, because you're you you have internationals coming back. So do you want to inter, integrate them into the squad to get a bit of game time before the Champions Cup games? You know, Munster are away to Exeter as well. So you would imagine that a few of the guys will will be trying to get in to get them it's some game time. Um I think it's 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 tough to, a tough ask for Leinster to come down to Toma Park. Well, that's what I feel because because uh, obviously I'm living over the yeah. road. But um, but um, it's going to be a, a good game. Um, but I think I think Munster could uh, could take this one. A quick verdict from you, Eddie, on that one. Um, it's a hard one to call because I think Leinster will want to get um some rhythm back into their game. Like they've been playing without their team pretty much for the Six Nations. So Leinster might load up and they know going to Limerick that if they don't load up properly and get their head in the game, they will get a good kick in. I think Munster will go strong as well because a lot of the players that they've been away have been, not been really heavily invested in the Six Nations to be coming off the bench and that they haven't a lot of miles on their clock over the last few weeks. So it'll be full on, there's no doubt about it. But um I, I think maybe Munster needed results a little bit more than Leinster at this point. So maybe that, that might tip it in their favour at home and uh, with a big crowd. Very good. OK, it's a bumper Saturday for rugby on RTE with uh, Benetton v Connacht, Munster v Leinster live on RT2 and RTE player. And uh, the Irish Derby is also live. Sorry, the Irish Rugby Derby is also live on RTE Radio 1. France v Ireland in the Women's Six Nations has a 2.15 kickoff live on RT2 and RTE player. Also live on the radio on Saturday Sport. We'll have a live blog and match post-match reaction on the on the website as well. Thanks a million to Fiona and to Eddie for joining. Enjoy the rugby and we'll chat to you next week. The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com.